Hey guys, check it out. December 8th in New York City, the Soho Forum is hosting a debate on the resolution. While vaccine mandates are an infringement on freedom, some are justified due to their big payoff in lives saved. For the affirmative will be George Mason law professor Ela Soman, and for the negative, our friend Angela McArdle, chair of the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles County and declared candidate for national chair of the Libertarian Party. The uh, live debate will be at the Sheen Center. And of course, yes, they do have the vaccine restrictions at the Sheen Center, but they do not at Gene Epstein's apartment. And they're going to have a live viewing party at Gene's house. So people who oppose the mandates can watch the debate about the mandates. And so find out everything you need to know all about it at the SohoForum.org. That's this December the 8th in New York. All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book, Fool's Aaron, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, introducing Ford Fisher, News to Share, the number two there, News to Share, independent journalist. And uh, he's, as you know, done great work in the past on the story of the police killing of Johnny Hurley of Arvada, Colorado, uh, right after he was done killing a bad guy who was killing cops. And there have been further developments in that story. And so I'm happy to welcome you back to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you for having me here. All right. So it's kind of a complicated mess, but maybe we should just start with um, the new revelation, which is they released more information. And it does get right to the crux of the question of uh, the police claim that Hurley, after killing the bad guy, went and picked up his rifle. And so the cop that blew him away made an easy, uh, common-sense-type, uh, understandable, reasonable accident, blowing away the wrong guy because the good guy picked up the rifle of the bad guy. And so does the new information, and I'm not saying that's a good enough excuse, but I'm just saying that's their claim the way that they've set it up. Um, so now with the new information coming out, I know that that's something that is specifically addressed. So can you explain what it is that we've learned here? Right. So originally they released a sort of partial video uh, from one security camera angle where you saw um, Troiki, the the shoot, the original, the mass shooter who uh, kills a police officer, um, which they did uh, show in the original video. Um and then you see him begin to start uh, to receive. He goes and gets another weapon, right? So he started with a shotgun. He went back to his car. He grabs a rifle. Uh, he starts to um, return and is and has fired rounds at basically pl- empty police cars. But it's clear that as opposed to just a targeted, you know, single murder, like this is an active shooter who brought multiple weapons, uh, you know, to hurt people. Um, and in fact, fired rounds at a restaurant sort of across Arvada Square called So Radish, 
Um, so this was an active shooting in progress that, um, you know, thankfully only by that, by the point that he was um, confronted by Johnny Hurley had taken only one life, which of course is still a tragedy, but, um, but it seems that he was trying to, to kill or hurt many more people than that. And uh, you ju- and in that initial video, you just saw Johnny Hurley um, leave the military surplus store that he was in at the time across Arvada Square. Um, and you see the position of cover that he got to. And then the original video release stopped there. And the police, um, in describing what happened after that, although they originally released no sort of video proof of it, um, then described that... Uh, an op- that Johnny Hurley shot the shooter. He engaged the shooter and and won. And then they said that he um, picked up the rifle and that a responding officer uh, then shot Johnny Hurley. Um, never in dispute was the fact that Johnny Hurley was, of course, the hero of the situation um, and that the police shooting was incorrect. Um, well, but, not yes, after the first re- couple of days, right? Well, right, for, to be clear, yeah. Uh, uh, in Right. It, for the first couple of days, they didn't actually say almost anything, right? The police were, were dead silent for, for a bit. Um, and it was originally actually a police source that sort of leaked the fact um, that a police officer had shot Johnny um, and not the shooter, right? The way that it was originally implied was hero Johnny Hurley engages shooter, uh, you know, one cop and Johnny die in addition to shooter. That was the way they originally spelled it. And I think that that could have led people to assume that what they meant is that Johnny and, uh, you know, Troiki killed each other. Um, and the, the community around him, right? So to be clear, Johnny Hurley um, was a complete bystander in this situation, but he was known by the community as an activist who was critical of police and government itself. And so his friends, his particular friend group, was really skeptical of the way they were talking about it at first. And what they told me when I went there was that when they were reading the sort of way that this was being reported at first, they felt like the police were covering up the fact that they shot Johnny um, in, and and not... Uh, that the shooter had shot Johnny. And it turned out that was true. Um, they they assumed it at first, um, then a leaked source revealed it, and then the police revealed it. And so they were skeptical, understandably so, of the claim that Johnny, in fact, picked up the rifle, um, I think because they felt that that sense of trust had already been degraded, and then the police were not initially releasing any images proving that to be so. Now, it was all the way so that ha- the the shooting itself happened in the summer. Um, you know, I released my documentary about this on July 23rd. It wasn't until all the way into November 9th that I actually received I was one of five outlets that the Arva- that the uh, first judicial district office of of Colorado um, released the video to. So they sent me um you know, what amounted to about 100 minutes of video from a few different security camera sources, as well as two body cameras of officers who responded after the fact. And so piece, So first of all, I, I compiled all of that and released it to the public, like, immediately. So I, I put out a YouTube video that's, a, that's literally, at, you know, an hour and 40 minutes long, because my opinion was, you know, the problem is I looked at the other places that received it, basically mainstream media uh, outlets, right? I was like, like they put in the two line of who they sent it to, you know, all the other outlets. And I was kind of the only independent one. And, you know, I saw like Fox News, the the local Foxes reporting on it, which was cool that they reported on it, but it's not like they released all the raw sources. And so I didn't want to be sort of like the 
the police in this case, you know, prolonging or anything like that, everything I received, I immediately put out. They also gave me a thousand pages of um, sort of their discovery and investigative process, interviews with the police officers and stuff. Uh, I literally just downloaded that and then re-uploaded it to Google Drive. I'm like, this is this is for everybody should be able to see this the same way I am. Um, in any event, what it ended up sort of showing was that Johnny um, took a cover position behind a brick wall, um, shot Troiki successfully, and the view of there's the angle that shows this best has like a large tree in front of the camera but um but johnny then goes in the direction of um troiki and then past troiki to a different cover position where he is crouched and it's several seconds later that as he is facing toward troiki uh he sort of immediately falls like he 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 is clearly shot and falls and falls over um it's a little blurry, um, and it's not exactly incredibly obvious what he's doing or the fact that he picks up the rifle from those exact clips. However, um, there is body camera footage that was delivered um, that was cropped, um, I, I believe, in order to to remove the sort of blood or gore of, of what happened to Johnny. But um, it shows that a responding police officer who... Um, who responds and he sees both Troiki and Johnny's, um, you know, bodies on the ground, right? I don't, we don't necessarily know exactly at what moment did Johnny die. And I don't know that we know that the police know that either, but, um, it is pretty standard procedure for police to treat, uh, someone like they, they don't want to let someone play dead. Right. So police treat even a, a dead shooter as a, um, you know, possibly as a possibly alive person. And so they're giving commands to, to Johnny slash Johnny's body and they approach and then they kick away Troiki's rifle from Johnny's body. And so from my piecing together of that video, it is very clear to me that he did indeed um, die with Troiki's rifle in his hand. Now they were describing that Johnny was the, the police officer who fired it. So that now we also have details about the cop who fired and what he was thinking at the time. Mm -hmm. So this all happened actually near where uh, several police officers are based. And so they described that when they heard the gunfire, they didn't have an angle on it. And so these few officers basically split up, right. To try to get different uh, positions around it, try to like surround the situation and close in. And the officer who shot Johnny um, describes that from the position he was at with, and the officer only had a handgun, um, that Johnny comes into sight with the rifle and in his words is manipulating the rifle. I think that it is kind of common sense given what we know of this, that what Johnny was almost certainly doing was clearing the weapon, right? right. He, he almost certainly would have taken the if, since he picked up the rifle and then went to a position of cover away from the shooter, um, presumably he was, uh, you know, taking the mag out and taking a round out of the chamber. I, I would say this is an educated guess, to be clear, but there's no logical reason he'd be doing anything else to the weapon, right? He wouldn't be reloading it. Uh, he wouldn't be, uh, you know, messing with its accessories, right? One way or another, uh, presumably he was trying to disable the weapon. Right. But the officer describes that in that moment, um, he felt that if he had made a command, like drop it uh, or put your hands up or something, that he would then, if 
the person who he presumed was the shooter had not immediately surrendered, then he would be in a pistol versus rifle um, standoff with this person, which he believes that he would lose because the other person had, um, you know, a rifle, had a better gun. (laughs) Is that the law? (laughs) So... And so accordingly, he uh, fires multiple shots at Johnny. And what we what we now know is that one of those shots enters Johnny's um, right buttock and Johnny um, dies. And so the the officers acknowledge uh, or that officer acknowledges, but the investigation acknowledges that Johnny was not issued any sort of command. And of course, because Johnny was actually the hero in the situation, um, again, it stands completely to reason that if an officer I said, you know, police dropped the weapon, right? There's absolutely no reason that Johnny would have challenged that officer, right? Johnny would um, almost certainly, I guess I'll say, I'll, I'll use the caveat of almost, but but quite certainly nobody would have been hurt further had there been a command issued. And so mm-hmm. I've I've since heard it referenced by many of his friends and activists who are concerned by this story that, that this should be a fundamental change that we learn from it, that police um, should not be able to basically shoot somebody without at least attempting to make verbal contact uh, with the person who they suspect is um, the well, shooter. So, the or other in this thing case, he... even there's no even visual contact, right? There's no indication that Johnny even saw this cop. The cop basically snuck up on him and blew him away or threw a crack in the door, right? Yeah, not exactly snuck up on. It was that Johnny, by Johnny, entered the field of vision of this police officer. Um, because he, he entered a spot that he hadn't been. So he's at one cover position on one side of Troiki. When he shoots him, he picks up the rifle and then goes to a different cover position, still face at Troiki. And that's how he ends up with his back to an officer who he does not know is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this officer basically is describing that he has this brief moment where from his cover position, he sees what he assumes is the shooter with the rifle. And that behind Johnny, this was another point that was emphasized in these documents, that behind Johnny is a brick wall. And so the officer felt that this would be the one safe time to engage what he believed was the shooter, um, as opposed to shooting into Arvada Square uh, at some point that could cause there to be crossfire, right? You know, in in from all, virtually any other angle of Arvada Square, if you were shooting at um, you know, a person, you could you could possibly end up with with bullets going into other businesses or something. So he sees what he assumes the shooter with a brick wall behind him and with a rifle. And and his thought is just shoot first, figure it out after. And, you know, and he got it wrong. And and Johnny died because of that. Yeah. Hey, y'all check out our great stuff at libertarianinstitute.org slash books. First of all, we've published No Quarter, The Ravings of William Norman Grigg, our institute's late and great co-founder. He was the very best one of us. Our whole movement, I mean. And No Quarter will leave his mark on you, no question. Which brings us to the works of our other co-founder, the legendary libertarian thinker and writer Sheldon Richman. We've published two collections of his great essays, Coming to Palestine and What Social Animals Owe to Each Other. Both are instant classics. I'm proud to say that Coming to Palestine is surely the definitive libertarian take on Israel's occupation of the Palestinians. And Social Animals certainly ranks with the very best writings on libertarian ethics, economics, and everything else. You'll absolutely love it. Then there's me. I've written two books, Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. 
and I've also published a collection of the transcripts of all of my interviews of the heroic Dr. Ron Paul, 29 of them, plus a speech by me about how much I love the guy. It's called The Great Ron Paul. You can find all of these at libertarianinstitute.org slash books. Now, um, you know, I know they're going to say, well, that's just, those are the breaks, you know, because he made the mistake of picking up the rifle. He should have settled for the bad guy being dead and not able to use that rifle and then left it up to the professionals from there. But, I mean, is it the law that if you only have a handgun and someone else has the rifle, that it's okay then to shoot them in the back? Without, well, so there was, like a sucker punch? Without them knowing that you're there? I never heard so of that a, standard before. Well, I, I will I'll first point out an irony that might be clear to a lot of people, actually. Um, so if you watch my documentary, I actually interviewed the... Uh, owner of the army surplus store that Johnny was a customer in at the time that this was um, happening, right? So Johnny hears these gunshots and he he pulls his concealed carry, his lawful concealed carry handgun and responds. And um, when I interviewed the store owner, he said something very interesting to me, which he said, it takes a special person to engage a mass shooter armed with a rifle when you have a handgun, right? right? Johnny beelines uh, from cover position to cover position. He goes like kind of behind a lamp pole, a garbage can, and then ultimately a brick wall before um, shooting this guy at close range. And with a with a rifle, that guy could have, um, you know, if he had seen Johnny coming, he, he could have hit him at any time during that. So this, this is an extremely, like, unequivocal, I don't think anybody could debate this. It's an extremely brave action to to beeline toward a person with a rifle when you only have a handgun to, to stop a mass shooting. Um that I, I, I don't I don't want to make any kind of personal assessment about the police officer, but the but the police officer essentially in that moment found himself in a dilemma somewhat similar to Johnny. And Johnny did not make the same decision that that officer did. Right. Um, Johnny closed in slowly. He made like he understood what he was basically looking at. He got close to the shooter and then fired. Um, I don't think if we know, or I don't think anybody knows if there were words exchanged. We, I don't think we know if Johnny actually attempted to say, like, drop it to Troiki or anything like that, or if he just um, fired. But he at least closed in close enough that he knew what he was shooting at, and the police officer um, basically didn't didn't hesitate, didn't, you know, take yeah. the time to think about what he was looking at. He just right. did it. When you talk about um, the comparative courage and the fact that, you know, it wasn't Johnny's job to do this, he just did it anyway, where it's the mm. cop's job to figure out what he's doing before he does something right. like pull a trigger. And so, but as you ask about the legality, the DA um, issued a, a pretty long, and I, I'll, I'll say well-constructed or well-thought-out, even if one would disagree with it, but an explanation of why the officer is not charged with a crime here. And what the DA basically describes is that all of what you... Um, all of how you deal with a situation like this is based on sort of a reasonable person standard, right? And so it's not about was the officer actually in danger in that moment, because we now know the officer was in no danger, right? Of Obviously, Johnny stopped a mass shooter who just killed a cop. There is zero chance, like like not just not just a minuscule chance. There's a zero percent chance that Johnny would have had any murderous intent toward the cop who was also, you know, trying to save lives in that moment, right? So so that cop was in no actual j danger. However, 
the DA describes that it's based on a reasonable person standard. What did the cop think was happening in that moment? This cop knows that a cop is dead and knows that a person is, uh, you know, an active, that there's an active shooter uh, who has killed at least a police officer right there. And, um, and then sees a person with a rifle. Um, and they would then presume like he, he absolutely believed that he was in danger, that he is looking at a mass shooter and he believed that by, that by shooting him, he was protecting himself and others. Um, and so unfortunately it's based on a reasonable person standard here. Well, I shouldn't say unfortunately that what's unfortunate is that he did not know. And so the unfortunate discrepancy is that while he was in no danger, um, a reasonable person in his shoes would have believed that they were in danger. Basically yeah. that was the way that it was um, described. And so of course the, the question can then become, you know, what sorts of reforms could come out of that? And I, I'm not necessarily a use of force expert, but it has been contended to me, you know, among particularly Johnny's friends and activists who stand for him, that, that a very simple reform would be that you, that a police officer must give some kind of instruction before firing that, that the, that the way to prevent this kind of tragedy is that there has to be some attempt at verbal contact uh, before just pulling the trigger. Yeah. Or at least in a circumstance where the person is not actively using that weapon against someone or explicitly, you know, betraying the intent to pointing at someone and screaming, I'm about to kill you or whatever kind of a thing like that. In this case, as you're saying, clearing the weapon you know, okay, he's manipulating it, but that could mean he's just clearing it. And clearly he's not at the point where it's an immediate threat to anyone else. And, you know, a regular guy, concealed carry guy, you know, he might really panic in a situation like that, taking on a guy with a rifle like that. But the <laughs> cop supposedly is very well trained for a situation like this where he's not supposed to panic and get all emotional. He's supposed to be a professional here and choose his target. It's funny, right? The way that works where their training and experience allows them to get away with bloody murder half the time. But then the other half of the time it's, Hey, what would any schmuck in the same situation do? You know? And, uh, or what so, would they believe? Right. So it's, right. it's not just what would they, right, what, right. would a reasonable person fire the gun? The, the standard was simply, would a reasonable person believe that firing the gun in that moment would, would, uh, possibly save lives or, or, or including the, the life of the, of the officer who is the shooter in this case. Yeah. Um, I think it's also worth noting actually, cause you're, you're kind of describing a discrepancy in training or in the training that's supposed to happen. Um, you know, I don't know too much about the background of the individual officer, uh, but the, but John, people who I talked to described that kind of during the COVID period, Right. So bear in mind, this happened in the summer of uh, 2021. So apparently kind of throughout COVID, Johnny um, became interested in, uh, you know, exercising his Second Amendment. Like that's when he gets his concealed carry. But he also took um, kind of training classes like he took classes that were much beyond just what you're required to get a concealed carry class. Right. So like I, I've done the eight hour concealed carry class and in Virginia, but that was basically poking holes in paper that isn't too far away. Not super applicable to a real life situation. Um, Johnny was taking way more than the standard required to um, to simply be a concealed carrier. He was actually learning about 
um, you know, tactics, maneuvers and things in situations like this. So, you know, he used his training to save lives in this situation. Um, I, again, I don't know so much about the individual police officers, um, training background, but I will say that in general, police officers are not required to take like extremely extensive, uh, firearms classes. Like it's pretty normal for them to have to do like 200 rounds downrange per year, like kind of freshening up but they're not necessarily taking the kind of tactical training. So again, I don't want to say anything about the specific cop, but I would say that Johnny's amount of training for a situation like this probably exceeds what any individual cop would have to do, at least for, for in a given um, particular year, like in terms of fresh training. Yeah. Um, so probably hard to compare it to like police Academy or whatever. Um, but I, it's one other thing I actually want to like point out about that officer, which, you know, I don't know if this makes any point. It's not a political point. It's not um, it doesn't change anything really about the situation. But I, I once we finally got the cop's name, I kind of looked him up and I wanted to see what sorts of, um, you know, news stories exist about him. Has he had other issues? And, um, you know, I found I found one sort of police brutality lawsuit against him, but that was dropped. Um, so there's not, there's not much to learn there, but one thing that I did learn about him is that he actually, um, is an acoustic guitarist and he has a Spotify. Um, and there were posts, um, about him on the, um, you know, on the city's website where they had kind of a music video that showed him playing guitar. And I, I thought it was interesting again, no particular comment, and I'm not necessarily trying to humanize the officer or whatever, right? People, people might try to drive meaning from this. And I would just say, don't, don't put it onto me, but take it for what you will. Johnny was also a, a musician. He took music very seriously. People called him Johnny verbal. He used his music to sort of spread a, um, message as well as simply to kind of bring joy to people's lives. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting that, um, much as a, uh, activist who's extremely critical of police could maybe be considered diametrically opposed to a police officer, particularly one who kills him, um, that these, uh, two people also had some level of, of, um, you know, uncanny similarity that they both, um, were musicians who both believed Johnny was right. The cop was wrong, but both believed that they were protecting their community, uh, from a mass murderer. Yeah. Well, and the whole thing is so ironic, right? The kind of, I don't know exactly if he's an anarcho-capitalist, but some kind of extremely libertarian anti-government and, and, and specifically anti-police activist, on some issues anyway and he was described to me by by one so i don't mean to interrupt you but just to answer that uh clarification there uh he was described to me by um a friend of his as that he was a capitalist leaning anarchist Mm -hmm. um but the person who told me that was actually a anti-capitalist anarchist and so it was interesting because what he described to me is that although they were kind of on opposite ends of the economic spectrum, mm-hmm. like their their unity in in, you know, voluntarism in in anti-statism uh, was much more important to them than whether they happen to have left or right kind of economic views. So yeah. I, I think it wasn't I don't think capitalism was was something that you would primarily describe him by. Um, but but it does sound like his his leanings were toward ANCAP. Yes. Right. And and I like that that it's you know anarchy first and capitalism second. That's fun with me. Um, but then for so sure. <laughs> he's, the, he's the hero who saves the cop from the guy with the gun. You know whatever. Nobody ever talks about what was this guy's problem. But this guy's just out to assassinate cops that day. And the anti-cop activist 
kills him heroically in a in a textbook defensive, uh, in defense of other life type uh, killing, and then is blown away in what you say is at least near a reasonable error of conclusion. And as you say, also a dilemma of a situation in timing where he has a safe backdrop for his shot now, which he might lose in just a moment and all of these things. And then you also have a situation where, you know, and I don't know who's jerking our chain. It's probably no intent behind it really, but they could have released pictures of the rifle on the ground, right at Hurley's feet or something, a couple of still shots to show that, look, he did have the rifle and it was a reasonable uh, mistake that was made or at least a, a claim, uh, one near that that you could claim that. Instead, they didn't release that until now. And so they left people saying, oh, you claim he picked up the rifle, but why don't you demonstrate that? And gave, you know, in a sense, all of Hurley's people the idea that maybe one day the real truth will come out and there will be some accountability for this. And now here it is months later and the truth comes out that it, the story is at least close enough to their version of it that there will be no accountability. It's just a horrible thing that happened one day and then tough, right? Mm. Well, there certainly won't be any criminal charges. Um, I don't think that they're technically precluded from some kind of a lawsuit or something like that, but um, but not, nothing like that has been filed to my understanding. So, um, you know, I think that there there are methods of justice that could exist other than uh, criminal charges. And again, this was something that people talked to me about um, when I was filming the documentary this summer was, you know, one one person who uh, describes herself as sort of a re- restorative justice and kind of like healing um, figure in the community said like, you know, she doesn't think that Johnny's um, philosophy would say that that the, that this should be adjudicated by a criminal trial, that that it like what would actually imprisoning the officer who made this, you know, horrific, but like, you know, le- technically legally justifiable um, mistake, what would that actually do? Right. And so um, what does justice look like here? Um, it, cer- it could look like reforms to prevent it from happening again. Um, it could look like civil liability, but that's really up to the family. Um, you know, that that perhaps there are things other than the criminal justice system that could um, that could make this right or as right as it can be. Um, besides, uh, you know, besides criminal charges, um, much in the same way as perhaps the situation at Arvada Square could have been solved by literally anything else other than, um, you know, pulling the trigger in that particular moment. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I got to go, but, uh, I really appreciate you coming back on the show and your attention to this important story that, uh, I guess, you know, they must be getting some local coverage, but the rest of us out here in the country are relying on you. So thank you for coming through for us here. For sure. I really appreciate that. And I wish that this story was given, um, more national attention. I think that the media has this averse, uh, reaction to saying like, you know, armed, armed, you know, mass shooter stopped by concealed carrier doesn't exactly go along with the narrative, especially when the concealed carrier is an anarchist. Yeah. And then especially when he's blown away by his security force for saving their life. Oops. That doesn't make a very good narrative for TV news at all. Um, All right. right. Well, listen, uh, anyway, we're glad that you're here. So uh, that's news to share. The great Ford Fisher. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. APSradio.com. Antiwar.com. 
scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.